again my gorgeous listeners and thanks Mel for coming along to another episode of Glow West where we are delighted to chat about the wonderful world of sex, sexuality and the body. I'm your host Dr Caroline West and as always I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society and of course me with the sex podcast. And if you like what we do please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack to help keep the mics up and running or please pop over to Apple and Spotify to rate and review that helps push the podcast out to new listeners which I love to welcome along. If you want to get in touch the Instagram and Twitter is at Glow West Podcast. So now we have a returning guest here to talk about well a mixture of things and this is going to be not ranty as such but like just that infuriating nature of how women who've been victims of abuse or who have dared to have sex in public or who've dared to just sometimes exist in the world as a celebrity are really kind of treated and how their images or their sex tapes or their conversations about the kind of sex that they're having are just fodder for public consumption and just it gets pretty 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 nasty um so as always you know for something like this there would be a content warning that we may discuss um sexual violence as well and, and responses to it um in the media so my fabulous returning guest is the almost dr camille melissa warring who is a fourth year phd candidate at the center for research and education in Arts and Media, School of Arts, University of Westminster, which is in London. Her current research interests explore body politics, visual criminology, sexual violence and social media. Her most recent publications are Visual Violence, Sex Worker Experiences of Image-Based Abuse, and that's published in 2022, National Ugly Mugs and Schooled for Rape, which is published in the MAI Feminism and Visual Culture Journal. And Camille is the founder of the Feminist creative resistance and visual arts rebellion website the photographic theorist so camille welcome back on board long time no chat long time no chat it's nice to be back um talking about such cheery subjects i know (laughs) always the depressing ones well last time you're here you were talking about how image-based abuse really impacted sex workers and how their images are just not respected and they can be weaponized to abuse them so yeah that's going to link up a lot talking about i think i mentioned on one of your other podcasts the term visual terrorism Mm. and that got me kind of thinking about how photography how the image is weaponized against women and when i say image i mean photograph gifts men mems not men (laughs) (laughs) although some of them are reduced um photographs, videos, et cetera, that sort of stuff. And when I say, I guess when I say visual violence, I mean visual criminology. And what I mean by that is where you've got the image, um, it's a side of violence in itself, is a crime scene such as revenge porn, that horrible terminology. And then you've got the image as a vehicle for other forms of gender-based violence against women and girls. Um, If you want a contemporary example or the... All you have to do is go on social media and look at the the memes coming out about Amber Heard um, in the recent um, their trial in America. You've got the Doctors Without Borders scandal where they're publishing photographs of um, underage rape victims to sell, um, to raise funds for charity. You've got Magnum Photos um, publishing books about street-based sex workers in Spain without um, concealing their identity. The list goes on and on about (laughs) examples of visual violence. So I guess I'm all about um, 
how photography has been weaponized and I guess it's not really seen as a form of gender-eyed violence in itself, but it absolutely is, and that's my... And, of course, this is going to be a rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The last one got very sweary. It was very Aussie no, style. I'm not going to swear today. That I promise. I yeah, promise I don't we, want to shock, we believe shock it when we see I'm it. going to contain my inner skip and just <laughs> yeah. be academic. Sure, sure. We, we believe it. We believe <laughs> it. Um, so, so people think, like, image-based abuse is new. Um, well, the term is new anyway. We used to call it revenge porn. So image-based sexual abuse is, is relatively new the last couple of years. But what we're talking talking about of like the image being used to you know let, let's call a spade a spade like to target predominantly women you know obviously men can be victims and, and trans people and non-binary sure. people but predominantly through history the woman who dares to step out of line or you know yeah. does anything kind of public around any sex, woman who transgresses society's expectation I, I would be sarcastic and say any woman who simply dares to exist yes that is <laughs> a big part of it as well yeah. You're right, the term revenge porn is problematic. I mean, I have a problem with the, the term image-based sexual violence because it doesn't take into consideration how sex workers experience image-based abuse because for them the, the image-based abuse, the shaming through the sharing images is not always sexual. But I think the mistake people make is that um, in discussions of 21st century photography and social media and mobile phone intimacies and web-based um, technology is that this is all relatively new thing that it just is a side product of our modern society but this goes back well and truly um, into the 20th century and I think for me I mean you could really go back to the inception of photography because within you know since photography came about within 10 years pornography prostitution or photography just collided but if we go back to the 1970s and you had you know, the, the political slogan from 1970s feminism, Western feminism I'm talking about, was the personal is political. Let's make our private lives public in order to get, you know, rights, you know, working rights, um, caring rights, all yeah, those like Domestic violence was firstly domestic kind violence, of... Domestic violence, sexual violence. Yeah. And it sort of booms with the sexual revolution. But at the same time, what's really interesting in the 1970s, you see this... At the same time, women are politicising the personal is political. You've got, and when I say men, I mean general. I do speak in general terms, so I don't want anyone to go, not all men, me. Um, you have the 1970s. You have the birth, the really boom of pornography, um, real call pornography. You have um, Larry Flint, who, if you don't know who Larry Flint was, was a 1970s and 80s very well-known um, American pornographer who in 1972 launched Hustler magazine. Um, in nine, he got shot by an American serial killer <laughs> by the name of Joseph Franklin. But in he fought a, a really important 1978 obscenity trial in Georgia in America about freedom of creative expression. And he argued porn was a creative freedom of expression. So from Hustler magazine, and I can't believe I'm going to say this to an audience, he released in 1979 a spin-off of Hustler magazine called Beaver Hunt. And oh, I'm, I'm not going to describe Beaver. I'm sure we're all that, with me in that. Yeah, that, that that's not quite aimed at women. <laughs> and to me, this is the start of revenge porn because it's where it was a magazine where 
photographs were where the general public submitted sexualized images of everyday women and descriptions would include their hobbies, their sexual fantasies, um, their name. Um, you know, typically not all these women agreed to have their photographs submitted, but this was the first time really we saw this, um, I think, the commercialisation of real-life pornography, authentic porn, um, but it was problematic. I mean, a lot of the images were published without verifying permission or without consent, and a lot of women actually at the time sued. And then you kind of move on to 1983 where there was a very high-profile rape case about Cheryl Arjo, I think, Arajo, who was gang raped in a bar, in Dan's bar, and the case became really horrific in 1983 at the age of 21 simply because the trial was publicised. And this poor woman who died at the age of 25 in a car accident was vilified in the media. So if you think what's happening to Amber Heard now is shocking and new, wake up and smell the visual violence because this has been going on since the 1980s. And it was quite damaging. I mean, this. I mean, even the judge had concerns about how the media were representing this woman. So you've got you've got the sexual revenge porn, John had been born, and you've also got this media voyeurism into the sexual violence of rape victims and the shaming becoming media fodder. And then in 1988, Rob Lowe, and if you don't know Rob Lowe, he was part of the Brat Pack in the 1980s. He was very famous for mediocre films and looking good. Um, I'm not saying he was particularly talented, but in 1988, and when you talk about filming sex tapes in 1988, he was literally a VHS video and a camera. Yeah, and a gigantic, big... Gigantic. Oh, yeah. And in all his wisdom, 24-year-old Rob Lowe decided to film himself having sex with a 23-year-old and the other person involved was a 16-year-old girl. Now, at the time when that sex tape was released, it bombed his career. I mean, this was groundbreaking. You didn't see him for 20 years. But controversially, he said that that sex tape was the best thing that ever happened to him because it made him clean up his act. But no one ever asked what happened about the 16-year-old girl in, so you get it, Rob Lowe's sex tape is really, people think it's um, Pamela Anderson's sex tape that, or Paris Hilton's sex tape that births this sex tape trend, but it's actually Rob Lowe, bless him. <laughs> Way back in the day. Well, that was, I yeah, know, that was I know. huge, um, wasn't it? Like, it was, and he, Rob, this was quite the scandal at the time. Yeah. He was a rising star. He was quite... Proper was, A-list. I mean, Films were quite sexual. Some of them were quite sweet, like St. Elmo's Fire. And then that kind of brings you to the 1990s. And the 1990s are really interesting because it's where, um, I guess, you where you see sex and technology come together. You get the explosion of remediated websites, mobile intimacies, the democracy of photography, meaning that photography was now starting to become accessible to us all through digital cameras and um, later, you know, um, through mobile phones. And there was this real desire to consume the private lives of women 
in the context of the private is political. So we want to know about women's sex lives. We don't want to see porn actresses. We want to see everyday actresses, um, everyday women in sexualized images. And then not only that, we want to see rape victims be persecuted in court. We want to see women's shame because what's really interesting about that Rob Lowe sex tape is that why has no one ever asked about the 16-year-old girl in that sex tape? And they're, well, he was 24, she was 16. And then how did that sex tape get released to the media? And people think the shaming that happens now online is nothing compared to what happened in the 1990s um, when Monica Lewinsky... Um, I was interning at the White House and in 1995 and 1996, I think it was, she had a sexual relationship, which I won't call consensual, um, with Bill Clinton, which she was outed and she was horrifically shamed for that. And in fact, I saw someone today on Twitter make a cigar joke, which is in reference to a sex act apparently performed on her. And then, so you get it. And, you know, Monica Lewinsky has spoken about being shamed in public, but she talks about how it was before the internet. So in theory, I think she kicked off the modern day technological witch hunt, but I think we have to go back and think about Paul Cheryl Arajo because I actually think she's the, she's the first, I guess, everyday woman who became shamed in the media for the simple act of, um, being raped and then you get in the year 2000s you get um, a musician slash researcher slash person who was into sexual fetishes trying to argue that real core porn was a new genre of photography and I argue it's not a real genre a new genre of photography because bloody Larry oh my god I swore <laughs> bloody's not a swear word in no. Australia yeah. <laughs> with beaver hunt that's what Larry Flint was doing in 1979, producing real core porn. Now, real core porn are sexualized images, pornographic images of women who aren't considered um, um, traditional pornographic actresses. And for whatever reason, and um, you might be able to explain this better than me because I don't study porn, that the photographs of um, everyday women are more highly prized than the sexualized photographs of um, women in the or in the sex industry. So it consisted of, and this is why I have problems with the definition real core, because it consisted of images and videos of ex-girlfriends distributed through Usenet websites and amateur porn X-tube sites. That doesn't Back exactly sound day. like a consensual version no. of a genre of pornography. But and then in 2008... Like... Uh, yeah. They started receiving lots of complaints about the pornographic content, which was posted without um, permission, which is what I find really interesting because there's a movement now called hashtag make love not porn by this woman who argues, well, this is authentic couples, this is authentic pornography, it's not porn, it's not sex, it's make love, you know, it's everyday couples making love but what I find ironic about that is that they've just arced back to the beginning of revenge porn so in an effort to see authenticity um we've just gone back to the roots of where revenge porn began which is why OnlyFans is so problematic these days which is so much content gets released because it's about the shaming but I guess 
what I find interesting about the contemporary debates about revenge porn is that we don't discuss these sex tapes. We don't discuss media sexualised representations of women. And it's one thing to say, well, I want to outlaw revenge porn, but then, you know, what we've got to sit back as a society and go, what else constitutes visual violence? Mm. And what is the gender? Where is the gendered form of violence on the visual spectrum and how the photograph has been weaponized. But this certainly most is not um, a 21st century phenomenon. It's a throwback from um, the wacky 20th century. I mean, I can, if you use my own personal example, and I'm just, I'm going to talk about rape, but not in details. Um, I went through two rape trials in the 1990s against a sex offending um, pedophile school teacher. They used in my rape trials undated negatives that he'd taken as a form of defence. It's like, what is that? So whilst all this may seem randomly unconnected, it's all on the spectrum of visual terrorism, visual violence, which is why, you know, these sex tapes are so important to the discussion. Oh, okay. That was a lot. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a lot in that. I'm a rant. I'm a rant. I'm a rant. I'm an angry rant. No, 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 no. Totally justified. But like, it is really that kind of, it, it's a tool for punishing women to like stay in line or else like this, like, I mean, yeah, the Amber Heard stuff was like, you know, people are making TikToks of her testimony yeah. of, of being sexually assaulted. And it's just, that's absolutely wild. Like, it live on now, uh, memes and TikToks and things like that. But if you even go back to the Monica Lewinsky part, I think a part of that was, like, her looks. She was very girl yeah. next door. She didn't yeah. look like, quote unquote, like a stereotypical sex kitten or something like that. Um, and she, she's she been the subject of people now in the modern age kind of looking back and going, oh yeah, we did treat her quite badly. We do need to owe her an apology. The way people are looking back at Britney and how, um, yeah. you know, we treated her really quite poorly. But yeah, at the same time, those lessons really haven't been applied in in the modern age. But like, like go back to Monica there. Like, you know, this was, was it the, it was the 90s, wasn't it? The 1990s, mid-1990s. Yeah. So like yeah. we didn't really have the internet back then. So you're li literally in the hands of like, you know, newspaper editors and, yeah. you know, who all Magazine. had... Don't forget the glossy magazines. Yeah. And the newspapers coming out twice a day. Um, mm. the, the American press, uh, the British press at the time was barbaric towards women. Yeah. And what I find interesting about Monica Lewinsky, she wrote a really nuanced piece in the last couple of days for Vanity Fair critiquing the misogyny directed at um, Amber Heard in this whole trial. And although she doesn't talk about photographic theory, she does talk about well why is it that most of the men mems are about her and not Depp and it comes back to this public shaming of any women that we we don't like and what I find really interesting about people's response to Monica Lewinsky is the same response to Amber Heard and social media has, and this is going to be controversial social media has allowed people to think that their opinions matter and that, that their opinions are valid and that they have the right to express those opinions. But frankly, you're just some person, and I, if, you know, my opinions don't matter on social media. What right do we have as individuals on the internet to position ourselves as subject matter experts over the lives of others and then redistribute this? Because if we're going to be anti-revenge porn, 
we have to start questioning mem culture and these little video and you know even playing the video clips of the court I found I mean I haven't watched it I mean frankly I've got a life yeah. <laughs> I've been reading it's people online who watched the whole trial and I'm like my god yeah no. but it's no different to what happened to this um you know Cheryl Arjo in that once you have been the subject of visual violence, once you've been dehumanised in the image, once you have been shamed by society and people feel emboldened to continue to shame you through that image, you will never, ever shift from underneath that. Look at Monica Lewinsky. I mean, brilliant article, brilliant mind, and there's still people making cigar jokes about her and it's just mm. absolutely ridiculous. And Monica was never permitted to be a victim I think like her understanding of consent back then like it just was so basic (laughs) yeah like it was just like it was not happening but like people didn't think about the power dynamic as such like she was just the hussy that came in and like there was no conversations about the responsibility of Bill let alone a married man but like the president the same with you know Cheryl she went into a bar she had a drink she was gang raped on the bar. What did she expect for being a woman walking into a bar? Same with Monica Lewinsky. What did she expect? She seduced this man in a position of authority. Same with me. I seduced my rape as school teacher. But if you don't remember the 1990s, I mean, I turned 18 in the 1990s and it was incredibly misogynistic and sexist. If people think it's what I find really quite sad now is that I actually think sexism and sexual violence is worse now than what it was 30 years ago. And I remember thinking in the 1990s, oh, my God, you know, got my first feminist book, finally got out of rural Australia, (laughs) learned what feminism was and thought the future is going to be so much better for women. But in terms of visual violence, it's actually worse. And I'm with Monica Lewinsky when I say I'm glad my rape trials happened before the internet because I had a few shaming articles in local newspapers, but it wasn't to the extent of what happens now. And if you know, if you look at the, you know, if you look at um, the Pamela Anderson thing recently, where they've made a, a a movie about that sex tape, and they made the movie without consulting her which is another yeah, form of her explicit violence. non-consent so she said she didn't want anything to do I think it was on Disney plus Pam and Tommy or or something along those lines that like yeah the, so that sex tape was stolen from a safe in their house um yeah. you know and then, then released on the internet and they tried taking it down but then the judge ruled actually no this is essentially like in the public interest so tough shit basically um I mean how is this private sex tape illegally obtained in the public interest, right, right as as we have a public have to view a video that the two participants didn't agree to see. How is that not a form of visual violence? Absolutely. And, and the, then for it to become like a meme as well and then you know people were saying well Tommy's okay with the series and it's like oh, like okay well, because the men aren't shamed in these no he was like a Rob legend Robbo's still making films I mean yeah. if you look even if you look at um um Hilton Paris, Paris Hilton. Hilton I'm sure that I mean I might be incorrect on this, but I'm sure that sex tape was sold from belongings that she forgot that was in a storage locker. Just because you find something doesn't mean then gives you the right to distribute that. And if it yeah. does give you a legal right to distribute that, then we have to question, well, what's... And, but I think it just comes back to this whole thing is we we don't view the image, we don't view these sex tapes on the same spectrum 
as revenge porn. We don't see the media representation of women who've been shamed through sex tapes or shamed through rape or shamed through domestic violence on the same scale. And it is, it's just the same iteration of visual violence. And it's just, um, do you know, when, what's his name, Hunter Moore, put that website out, the first revenge porn sign in, in America. I think it might have been um, oof, maybe 2014. I could be wrong on that. Women were complaining, but women in the 1970s were suing Larry Flint for unauthorised published photos. But there's something, I mean, you might want to come in on this. There's something about, and I'm using quotation marks, and authentic porn, the need to see women in sexualised vulnerable positions that is more desirable than, you know, mass-produced commercial porn. Desirable because it's somehow seen as more naughty and also you can shame an everyday woman more through the release of these photos. You apparently can't shame a porn actress because they're unshameable because they're quote-unquote whores and you can't shame the shameless. Yeah, they're not even viewed as human by many, many, many people. But what you're bringing to mind there is things like Girls Gone Wild. And for those who were lucky enough to miss this, this was a whole massive era in TV. Um, The guy's name was Joe, I forget his last name. But they'd basically go up to teenage, you know, 20 and 21-year-old girls in the States and, you know, like spring break and stuff. And um, they'd be drinking on the streets and fairly incapacitated a lot of the time and be like, oh, show us your tits or whatever and stuff. And, you know, not really like tell them where it was or, you know, where it was going or anything like that. But they were like, well, we got them to sign a release form. And I'm like, they were so drunk. Like they couldn't legally consent to sex. Yeah, yeah, so they can consent legally to sex, but apparently they can legally consent to their image being taken and used in perpetuate. I can never say that word. Perpetuate <laughs> forever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Perpet- in similar vein yeah. to the suicide girls, where girls are encouraged to take sexualized photos and then they get featured on this site and they became a suicide girl. I remember once I was approached by a, a young woman asking me to photograph her to be a part of that and I was like, no, <laughs> like, what is that? But we've also got to put all this into the context of the 1990s when, um, and I can't remember if the film, um, oh, God, I forgot the name of it. Um, the one where he's living in a reality TV show oh, and he doesn't realise Truman it. Show. Jim Carrey, yeah. So you've got the birth of reality TV, right, which, yeah. you know, the, the term reality television series is a misnomer, but, you know, the latest series of Love Island, the contestants, contestants are allowed to have sex online, uh, on TV, and we're allowed to watch that. So, A, why is that not pornography? B, why is that acceptable? And why aren't those women shamed? Another recent example is, um, and I am embarrassed to admit, I did watch Australian Married at First Sight. Okay. One of the contestants had her OnlyFans released and it was quite the scandal and shamed, but the shaming backfired and she's become very successful after it. But then the woman who shamed her has then set up her own OnlyFans now and in response, she's getting quite a bit of shame for that. Okay. So you're this damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You're damned if you're the woman who shames women and you're damned if the woman if you're shamed. And it all comes back to this idea of what is a photograph, what is an image in the context of our 200-year history of moving images. It's it's a sociogram, it's an artefact, it's a weapon to control women. 
Well, yeah, that, you know, the last the last time we spoke, um, I think it was just recently around the Discord server leak that, you know, there was yeah. hundreds of thousands of images of predominantly um, young in women jail. and girls yeah. at the time, like people under the age of consent um, being held by people. And that was a huge thing that like it wasn't just I mean, that's the thing. It's, it wasn't like people sharing porn made by professional actresses who were OK with it. It's like there is something about oh I'm getting one over on somebody and it is revenge and there is punishment and there is a misogynistic aspect to it and that's well like that is also porn that sells like is like you know the readers wives kind of thing and the the average person I mean a massive genre of porn at the moment is like things like fake taxi someone gets in they're like oh I have no money for my fare what am I gonna do and they're like oh well or they go up to people on the street and they're like I'll give you 20 quid if you show me your tits and you know that those genres are huge the whole like you know um just the average woman kind of thing it is like a revenge part of things and this is where and I don't want to trip into the pornography debate, but this is where porn is a genre, all the different genres of porn become problematic because how do you know it's consensual? How do you know what you're looking at is consensual? And then if it's not consensual, it's visual violence, but then how do you police it, differentiate it from, you know, consensual porn and this need for authentic porn this real core porn this homemade pornography the problem now is with social media um, instagram whatever you've got homemade porn as an aesthetic where you can create porn so it looks like it's homemade and homemade porn is a genre and if it's homemade the problem that existed in the 1970s how do you know it's consensual And the problem with that question is that I don't think people particularly care. I don't think the consumers who are predominantly, I would say in the 70s, 80s and the 90s, I would say predominantly would be males, heterosexual men consuming those images. You know, but seeing this response to Amber Heard, seeing the response to this um, woman on Australian Married Respect site, I'm not too sure that, you know, the the number of, you know, it's not a 50-50% split that, a lot of women are sharing this, you know, are engaging in visual violence by shaming other women through the image. But sex tapes, I mean, you know, how many sex tapes have been released but women are still being shamed for having sex on OnlyFans and that being released? It's like when when do we stop shaming? The, the photograph will be less of a weapon if sex was less. Of a, of a oh, weapon absolutely and we, and we didn't take a position well she's I'm not gonna swear she's a bad woman <laughs> and he's a good man her tears are fake he's generally oh no he's not a wife beater because she you know she didn't donate to charity or whatever all a woman has to do is have one little character flaw and if there's anything sexual about her she or even non-sexual she'll be shamed through sexualized Oh, absolutely. Well, but to to turn that bit on its head, then the the Kim Kardashian tape, I think, is an interesting thing because, well, Paris Hilton said for years, this isn't consensual. You know, like she said, she's a victim of image based abuse. No one listened to her for years. But with Kim Kardashian, you know, the the heavily implied rumor is that her and her mom sold it to get famous. um, And there is like a signed contract, you know, with Vivid Productions that like they agreed to the release of it, things like that. But then recently on her, the new reality show, she was saying, oh, Ray J was going to release another um, 
version of the tape or something and it, it turned into this whole big thing and she was saying Kanye had to go and get the laptop off him and then he came out and said none of that is true she has all the tapes in a box under her bed they're not on a laptop they're literally tapes that she owns but so he was demonized and she was portrayed as the victim but she's always kind of she's utilized it as well so it's an interesting well, thing I find Kim Kardashian really interesting because she's one of these women who are allowed to be a whore online. You could be a whore-ish, just as long as you're not a whore. Some of her Instagram posts, I mean, don't get me started on Marilyn Monroe's dress, but I find (laughs) Kim Kardashian a real interesting character because if we go back to the 1990s, you go back to her father representing OJ Sisters, um, Simpson. I'm very clear when it comes to Kim Kardashian. She's famous because her father defended a man who put his foot on the back of his ex-wife, pulled her head up and slit her throat. So Kim Kardashian is famous because her father was a bloody misogynist. Let's be frank about that. She wouldn't be famous unless a woman was murdered. No one talks about that. No one connects. When I, If I had my way, when people Google Kim Kardashian, Pictures of Nicole Brown Smith would pop up and her a pearl friend who was murdered. So for Kim Kardashian, I find her interesting because she's disconnected from why she's famous. She's not famous for famous sake. She's famous because her father read out a fake suicide note on live TV whilst, you know, those famous images, which is kind of considered a, a sex tape in a way, in the way that the white bronco hooning down the highway or fairly dramatic with the police slowly driving by. God forbid he actually kills himself like he threatened to. And then I find her sex tape really interesting because why not just release it as a porn tape? Mm. But she can't just release it as a porn tape because that would make her a a porn actress and they're scummy. But if if it's accidentally released, then she's a victim and she's not going to be judged as harshly. For, and I think there was another sex tape with it. It was a Danielle Lloyd, the infamous Pringles in the vagina. Oh, yeah, in the UK, yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, I hope they're not salt and vinegar because that's going to stink. But, uh, yeah, yeah, but that, yeah, that I'm is... Pringles, quite sharp edges. Like, <laughs> yeah. At least they wouldn't be Australian. We have stand boys and those, they're brutal. <laughs> But it's such a thing now, like some of the research around, you know, image-based abuse and things like that, like people are using them as, like people, they're building collections, like yeah. of, of people. And this is research done in, in schools. So there's, you know, young boys going out there and they've got like folders full of like half the girls in their school. And then, but some of the girls have them as well. And I think some of the research yep. I read, I think it's from Jessica Ringrose, I think it was, that the boys use them for social capital. And they're like, look how cool I am. Yep. I have all these nudes. And the girls have them as like, not necessarily blackmail, but like if someone leaks my nudes, I have theirs, then I can leak them. So it's like a, it's a kind of protection thing. But and like, actually quite sad. I find yeah. that quite incredibly tragic that our kids are weaponized in the image against themselves because they're growing. I don't want to use the word pornified culture, but they're growing up in this yeah. pornified culture where the image has been has turned into such a negative for them. Although I will say, I mean, my rapist he did take a lot of pornographic images of me. Um, you know, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that that didn't happen to me in the age of digital tech because I never had the fear that those images are then going to end up online 
somewhere you know one of my research subjects was telling me that the reason why she shows her face in her sex work photos is because there's child pornography out online that she can't get taken down and this is a way of reclaiming her face so perhaps we shouldn't be having conversations about adults what adults are doing with these images at what point in time did we get oh for god's sake you're an adult suck it up we should be focusing on this generation of children who think it's okay to send nude photos to each other to have, I mean, I'm horrified to hear girls have a cachet <laughs> of blackmail just in case the boy that they, and, you know, you know, teenagers, that's when they develop their sexual identity. They should be allowed to visually sexually express themselves. There's absolutely no shame in that, but it's a problem if they're doing it for malicious intent. And where do they get the malicious intent from? Well, it's what adults are teaching them the power of the photograph, I guess. Yeah, but then on top of that, you have a Disney series about the sex tape of Pamela Anderson that just makes it seem cool and like kind of glosses over the trauma and the re-traumatization of us and and Disney making money off a, a violent act that was done to her via the digital theft like of of her work um of her uh, not of her work of her private life but even romanticizing yeah visual rape let's be frank this is you know you know Susan Sontag wrote about this the camera is an agent of capitalist patriarchy you know um god I've forgotten who said this um Deleuze said that the flip side of money is the image and this is the problem these these images the idea of these images you know are so profitable these days for a power force of a company like Disney to then come along and make a film about a woman who's shown through a sex tape and then not consult that woman you cannot get the disconnect to me I don't understand why people don't see the disconnect and why people don't see that they're all perpetrating acts of visual violence. It's it's a form of genderized violence against women and girls, and why they don't. And then people happily go along and, do you know, because you've got to question the people who view these sex tapes. Mm. You've got to question the people who spent hours and hours um, watching the death trial, or you mm. know, searching out sexualized images just to have that. Haha, I've shamed you. So perhaps, you know, if we if we can't deal with the sex tape problems, maybe we should be teaching young boys and young girls, well, why do you value the opinion of people you don't care about? Mm-hmm. You know, big whoop if somebody sees your boobs online. And we, you know, where's the, you know, do you, I, I don't know. It's a very, I thought, but what I just find, I get incredibly frustrated where people go, oh, this is a new phenomenon. Let's deal with this the way it's a 21st century boom. It's not. It's not. It's you absolutely know? Why don't not. we talk about those women? Why don't we know any of the names of the women who sued Hustle magazine? They've just disappeared into, I mean, to take a mag porn magazine on in the 1970s and say, oh, I was shamed through the image, that's, that's a bold feminist act yeah. that we don't talk about. Because we've ignored it until Hunter Moore came along with this revenge porn and then suddenly it's been a problem for the last few years. You know, why don't we talk about oh, Beaver Hunt? <laughs> keep laughing when I say that to remind myself I'm an adult. You know what? You know, why don't we, I mean, whatever your thoughts about Larry Flinter, um, 
whatever your thoughts about his shooting, whatever your thoughts. I mean, you can even say the 1990s obscenity trial with Robert Maplethorpe. Why don't we, why are we not connecting the dots between what was happening in the 20th century and what was happening now? And perhaps if we did, we can get a better understanding of what's, what's happening now because the, you know, the, the cat is well and truly out of the bag. You're never going to police this now, not unless you switch off the internet, um, which it's not, not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> and the Generation soon. X, I'd like to say, going back to pre-internet days, was more peaceful, but that's a, a, that's a lie because the, the 90s was very sexist and misogynist and we were just shamed through media and VHS. Mm-hmm. Like the, that 1983 rape, the gang rape, that became a... Um, I think it was released in 1989 with Jodie Foster, a very famous movie called The Accused. And interestingly, my rapist then sometime in 1990, 1991, said if I was to tell anyone about um, what would happen to me, he would take me to the Balmer Hotel and rape me like that woman. So it becomes, so now I've seen, at that time I'd seen the film Accused. I had known what was coming if I spoke out. So um, indirectly, Cheryl Araujo's rape and her shame in the media and then Hollywood making a film about this poor woman's rape then became a weapon for my rapist. And I guess this is why I'm kind of interested in, in visual criminology because I think when people think of the term visual criminology, they think photographs of crime scene, but it's just... It's just so much more than that. And I was really disheartened. I think I spoke on your podcast about the revenge porn where you brought me on as a guest. I still think about that poor Irish woman that committed suicide after. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the tapes were released of her naked running about. And it's just, so why then does the sex tape now still hold so much currency? Why are people on purpose releasing sex tapes? And I think it's because they don't want to see be seen as pornographers. They want to be seen as accidental victims, but still capitalise on that. And why do you, we, especially like women like Paris Hilton, who I actually find a very interesting character because her whole persona, it was a persona, but just because it was a scatty brown persona, no disrespect to Paris, doesn't mean that we have the right to, to view that sex tape. And I'm sure that sex tape is online. I'm sure all these sex tapes are online except for Rob Lowe's sex tape. That's I'm sure that yeah. You know, why? And very few people probably know about Rob Lowe's sex tape. Yeah. Um, well, it know, actually came up. At, he, he did one of those roasts for, like, Comedy Central or something, and people were bringing it up, but, like, in a very kind of, ha-ha, like, you know, this isn't, like, a bad thing. Like, no one commented on the fact that this well, was hello. a 16-year-old in it. Statutory rape of a 16-year-old. And there are conflicting stories about how that tape became public. He he has said on multiple occasions that the girls stole the tape and tried to peddle it. And then I think the I believe I think the way it became public was her mother, the 16-year-old mother, complained to the police and tried to have him prosecuted for statutory rape. Now, he talks about that sex tape like it's the best thing that happens to him, and that's a phrase that he used. It said it got him off alcohol, it got him married, it resented him. Excuse me? Yeah, <laughs> good sorry. for him. What? Taking a sex tape with a child. Mm. And this is, you know, this is, you know, not 
this is to put this in the context of me personally this is two years before I was 14 and before I was being raped so there's already a culture building before we even hit 2000 real corn real corn real core territory of it being okay that if you're a woman you're going to be vilified with a sex tape but if you're a sex offender then you're probably going to do okay about it, which is why people think um, Tommy did okay out of the sex tape and the, the film. It's a beautiful human career. I think that's that's an excellent question. To Unfortunately, we're, we're going to have to wrap up, but I think, yeah, to, to reflect on that and to leave our listeners with, you know, those questions that you asked of, like, why are we still into this? Why is there the gender dynamic in it? Why are we still so interested in you know, leaking and hacking celebrities' phones and stuff to get their nudes, like the fapping, things like that. And then why why are we collecting nudes? And what, yeah, why are we so into it? I think that's... And why do we care? Yeah. And why do we hunt this stuff out? And why do we look? Because photography is all about virus and it's mm. a spectacle, it's a grotesque invasion. Yeah. Do you know why? Yeah. Why why are we looking? Because yeah, there wouldn't be a market for shame if we there wasn't a consumer. Oh, absolutely. 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 Oh, look, Camille, it's, it's great as always. And I think yeah, you, we need to, you need to set up your own podcast. Like you really do. <laughs> I because, need to finish my PhD. Well, oh, yeah, do, do that no, first. I, do. I would like to set up my own podcast, but thankfully I have lovely people like yourself that give me a platform and I'm pretty sure I only said bloody, which in Australian, that's not a fair You word. did quite well. I think I actually <laughs> swore more than you did. So yeah. Excellent, excellent. I'm like, do not swear. Okay, yeah. Um, no, that's fine. Charlie Sheen, I'll quickly slide this in. Charlie Sheen came out and vilified his ex-wife because his daughter has decided to go on OnlyFans. Charlie Sheen, a misogynist, a sexist, he got contracted HIV, then blamed the insipid character prostitutes that he was hanging out with, a known abuser of women, blaming his wife the fact that his daughter has an army fans and that is probably where we should leave it because that is an interesting statement on how yeah. we do not understand mm-hmm. how photography is being weaponized yeah no definitely and that's a, a developing a story yeah 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 <laughs> wow. abuser sticking together um brilliant camille where can people find you if they want to carry on with your work and see you be an almost doctor no, I'm my doctor. I'm at PhD photographer on Twitter and my website is thephotographictheorist.com. I've got lots of publications coming out. I do my post if I get through the PhD. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm almost five years into a four-year PhD. Um, hopefully post-PhD I'm going to do research about sexual violence and photography and um, sexual violence in online spaces. So watch this space. This visual criminology is definitely my academic kink yeah and it no needs to, be, needs to be released into the universe absolutely you're so good at it and it's just it's great to just see all this and talk about it so that's fantastic um brilliant listen hopefully we look i think we'll have you back on again and so just to, to kind of go over some of this because there's always just so much to it you know there's just we'll never we'll never well, get it all in episodes to me this is what academia yeah. is it shouldn't it's asking questions Yes. And I might not know the answer to them, but it creates conversation and that's I'm happy to. I'm happy to ruffle a few man feathers. Absolutely. No, that's the thing. Once the, we should be asking the questions, you know. So I think that's that's very important. So um yeah, so we leave our listeners with all that and, and just yeah, I suppose Thank it's you. a space to kind of reflect on 
you know, our own attitudes and thoughts around these kind of images and videos and ask why we're so interested in it. And yeah, we don't have to have the answers, but it's good to reflect on the why part of things. So yeah, reflect on how 21st century is connected to the sins of the 20th century. 100%. Yeah, and I'm brilliant. So thanks, Mil, to all my listeners and we'll chat to you next time. 